Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Headley. So, on a serious note, you good? Everything all right? I mean, you know, even if you and the people that you care about haven't tested positive for COVID-19, I don't know that there are many people out there who aren't, on some level, worried. Either about health issues or beyond that to economic and social stuff, even simple disruptions in our schedules. I got an alert in my inbox this morning that was linking me to an article called The 30 Days That Changed the World. And in a lot of ways, all of this stuff has, and it's got people stressed. And that stress is messing with people's sleep. But it was Dr. Chris Winter. You'll find him as Sport Sleep Doc on Twitter, who was one of the first to remind me that sleep is an important component of maintaining a robust immune system. And since then, for me, it's been that same kind of phenomenon. You know what happens when, when you're getting ready to buy a car and suddenly that kind of car is everywhere and you can't get away from it? So for me... It feels like my various uh, social media feeds have filled up with people in the science world talking about how beyond physical distancing and hand washing, getting good quality sleep is one of the best things you can do for yourself in these, let's call them interesting times. With that said, I want to introduce you to this week's guest, Dr. Jenny Pottebaum. She has a BA in psychology from Alma College and a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Michigan. But She's also certified by the American Council on Exercise in personal training, in health coaching, in fitness and sports nutrition. And on top of that, Dr. Jenny is an Ironman certified triathlon coach. She's been helping people cross the finish line at running events and triathlons and Ironman events for better than a decade now. And she's been competing herself in triathlons uh, since 2004. She raced as a pro for a few years, uh, about 10, almost 10 years ago, still racing to this day. She and her husband, John, also run Total Intensity Sports. It's a triathlon coaching company. Now, given all the different perspectives that inform her perspective, I wanted to talk to Dr. Jenny about how sleep and exercise and our immune systems all work together. Plus, We've got another listener voicemail. We've got a new review to share and some news about the Snooze Button Express podcast as well. But before we get to any of that, here's Dr. Jenny Pottebaum. I got to ask you the same first question that everybody on the show gets because there were a couple times where I let the guest slide and man, did I hear about it after. So Jenny, how did you sleep last night? I would say it was a mediocre night for me. Um, I I think I've got a little extra stress going, you know, kind of floating over me right now, just like everyone else does. And although I'm trying to do all the right things to get good sleep, um, you know, that a little bit of stress kind of hangs in the back of your mind and still influencing my sleep a little bit. Okay, so for you, when you say a mediocre night of sleep, what does a mediocre night sleep look like for you? Because I'll tell you what, for me a mediocre night's sleep is probably about three to three and a half hours. Like if I strike gold and everything is firing on all cylinders, I maybe get six and a half hours on a really, really good night. So what's a mediocre night look like for you? Um, well, that's a good question. So the total amount of time in bed, I would say is probably, it was probably about seven and a half hours, but, uh, I was waking up several times during the night last night. So, you know, the actual total number of hours of slept, uh, that I slept, I'm not really sure, but I was definitely awake several times. So, you know, and for more than just like wake up and roll over type of thing. So I would guess I had, you know, maybe six, six and a half hours of sleep, but who knows for sure. 
if there's stuff going on for you and, and, and sleep's not showing up, um, do you have go-tos? Do you have things that, uh, you know, rather than toss and turn for an hour and a half, uh, th- these are the things you turn to? Yes. Um, well, for one thing I do before I even go to bed to try to help me fall asleep is, um, you know, close everything down in the bedroom so that it's dark and the temperature is a little bit cooler. Um, and I have a diffuser that I start with some essential oil before I go to sleep. I try to start at like 30 minutes or so before I go to sleep and I close the bedroom door. So it starts kind of filling the room. Um, so I do those things before I even go to bed to start to sort of set the mood. And then um, when I'm sleeping, if I wake up during the night, uh, I usually try to focus either on breathing or um, just focus on my muscles and kind of contract and relax a little bit. Um, Because it gives me, when I do those things, it gives me something else to think about instead of, oh my gosh, I'm just laying here awake. And uh, if I do those things, then generally I can fall back asleep um, relatively quickly. I mean, it's not immediate, but uh, it's not like I lay there forever and toss and turn. Um, but if those things are not working and I'm watching the clock for some reason, um, which I don't recommend, um, then I'll actually get up and go into the other room and, you know, get a glass of water or do something just for a moment just to kind of get me away from the bed and then go back in and lay down. And it usually helps my mind relax a little bit so I can get back to sleep. So that you have a really good sense of what you're dealing with on the other end of this conversation. You want to, you ready for the, the, the incredibly dumb thing that I used to do when I was having trouble falling asleep. Sure, like, let's hear. And I, I say this to you knowing that nutrition and, and all of these kinds of things are a big deal for you. I used to, <laughs> I would go down to the kitchen and I would grab the biggest handful of raisins that I could possibly jam into my mouth, knowing that in about a half an hour, the resulting blood sugar crash would probably <laughs> help me fall asleep. Dumbest idea ever. Yeah, I mean, I've actually heard that from other people. I didn't think it was very good advice, but I've heard other people say like, "Oh, have some sugar before you go to bed, and you'll have a sugar crash and you'll fall asleep." And like, eh, yeah, that's not really true. <laughs> no, and and a terrible idea, a terrible thing to do to your body. But you know what? There are times when yeah, you're lying there awake and the clock keeps ticking despite your best efforts, and people just don't know what to do, and people are desperate for answers. One of the reasons I was super grateful to be able to get you on the show is because you come at this from a couple of angles that that make your take on all of this particularly interesting because yes a fitness trainer and and um a, a super highly tuned athlete and all of these things but also before fitness and nutrition and all that sort of took over your life uh, you were a neuroscientist yes and so I, you know, I mean, practically everybody that's been on the show so far uh, has been a neuroscientist with the exception of Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. And who knows, they may be studying neuroscience in their spare time for all I know. So, you know, don't want to break the streak or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, for somebody who comes at this from so many different angles and there are so many different pieces to the puzzle for you that make up your expertise on these kinds of subjects, talk to me about sort of this nexus between sleep and exercise and our immune systems? Yes. So they're all three definitely connected and um, affect each other. So the number one um, negative influencer of sleep is stress. 
And um, if you're not decreasing your stress or doing things to reduce your stress, then your sleep is definitely going to be impacted. Um, and then stress also impacts your immune system and lowers your immune system because it produces all these wonderful chemicals in your body that aren't really so wonderful when they're um, maintained at a higher level. And then uh, exercise obviously helps promote good um, good response to your immune system, helps boost your immune system, and it helps you sleep better because, for one, you've uh, done some physical and mental activity and tired yourself out, um, but it also boosts your immune system, like I said, and it helps you to decrease stress. So all those factors are positive influences on, on your sleep. And so, and but they're positive influences on each other as well, at least as far as sleep and exercise, because correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm exercising better, then I'm probably also sleeping better. And if I'm sleeping better, I'm probably exercising better. Yes, that's correct. So um, looking at, you know, whether I'll, I'll use the word performance, but I'll use it loosely, it's, um, not in terms of race performance, but just in terms of getting in quality workouts. Um, if you've had good night's sleep, you're going to get in a better workout, maybe a longer workout or a little bit harder, and you're going to be a little more motivated to do the workout in the first place. But if you're tired, then you're going to probably um, not work as hard in your workout or maybe not even be able to work as hard, maybe not be able to go as long or um, even have decreased motivation so that you don't even want to do the workout in the first place. So, you know, definitely um, sleep definitely influences your exercise also. And, and when we start invoking conversations about, you know, performance with your exercise, I don't want people thinking that we're going all the way down the road of, for example, like you do competing in these um, in, incredible endurance, uh, you know, triathlon and Ironman kind of competitions that that are a staple for you and the things that you train other people to do as well. It can be as simple as just getting that whatever your Fitbit says, 10,000 steps or something like that. So, I mean, talk to me about, and and when I ask this question, I think about the older demographic, the one that was uh, right in the wheelhouse of COVID-19 when it first came along before spring break happened and all of a sudden there was a flood of irresponsible millennials showing up at the ICU. Um, not that that's the only people that are showing up in the ICU. I don't want to paint the wrong picture, but come on, you weren't yeah. helping yourselves. Um, so, for for that demo, if if I'm thinking about you know there's the stereotypical um, um, uh, treadmill in the basement that is has been collecting laundry since the dawn of time. If I don't have workout gear in the house and I can't just go and polish off some equipment in the house that I've been that's been sitting around forever, and now that I've got so much time because I'm one of the tens of millions that's working from home, I can just go polish that off and start using it. Um, what can I do? What options are there for me if I want to start getting some exercise in an attempt to boost my immune system? So the first thing I always suggest to people is just to go for a walk. Um, unless you're obviously not able to walk, uh, then even then you could, you know, roll your wheelchair outside and get your arms going. But um, going for a walk is the simplest, you know, obviously no tools are required and, um, get you, if you can walk at a brisk pace, you can get your heart rate up a little bit. You can get some fresh air. Um, you can get some sunlight, you know, get some, um, good vitamins from the sun. Um, and it's something you can just do for it right from your house. You know, you can walk out your front door and walk around the block. And, you know, if you have a small block, you walk around five times or 10 times or whatever you need to do to get 
a good solid workout in and um, you're getting your heart rate up a little bit. And uh, I know a lot of people are um, stuck at, I will say stuck at home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in California and we're supposed to stay at home. But the thing that uh, all the government officials are saying in every report is, yes, you can go outside and exercise. So definitely go out and walk your dog or go for a walk, take your kids for a walk, you know, if you're by yourself, um, go for a walk by yourself. And if you're um, in the elderly demographic, I mean, even if you have a walker, you know, you can still walk around the block with your walker, you know, so there's no reason that you can't get outside and go for a walk, even if it's a short walk, it's, it's going to be much more beneficial than staying inside and doing nothing. And it, if I'm a person who has up until now been sedentary is, is taking that walk, is that probably my best, best first step? Cause, um, you know, for a lot of people, I, I mean, I, I kind of jokingly made the reference about the treadmill, but there are going to be people, I, I assume, that now that they've got a ton of time to spend at home because they're working at home, I, you know, I, if you don't have access to one of those crazy Peloton bikes or something like that, where you still can get your workout on a screen coming back at you from the other side, there are going to be people who are who, who might be at risk of overdoing it right out of the gate, I'm assuming. Yes, for sure. Um and that's why I, another reason why I would recommend walking to begin with, because you're not going to most likely you're not going to pull a muscle or hurt yourself um, walking. And, you know, maybe if you've I would say if you haven't been doing anything at all, you're literally going from the couch then just go for a 10 minute walk to begin with. I mean, just something really short and simple. And the next day, if you feel like, you know, you're not sore or tired or anything from the exercise that you got, then you can increase it a little bit. But if you feel like, oh, wow, that 10 minutes was, that was kind of tough for me, then, you know, stick with 10 minutes and um, try that a few times. And it's one of those things, I guess, as well. And and by the way, I love your optimism when you say you're probably not going to pull a muscle walking. Jenny, I've, I once pulled a muscle yawning. So. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so I might need some help in that department. But I, I, I guess we should chat afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just got herself a training customer. Um, so, <laughs> but but here's the thing: among the things that I'm hearing about COVID nineteen, that can be. Um, a, a red flag, you know, because people are trying to figure out in some parts of the world, it's also allergy season right now. So people yeah. are walking around with a runny nose and they're trying to figure out, okay, well, wait a minute, is this COVID-19 or is this ragweed? Um, and you don't know, right? So the, the paranoia creeps in, which then of course messes with your sleep. And then there's the snowball rolling down the hill. Um, I'm Canadian, so I make a lot of snowball references. Um, so, I, I mean, one of the things though that people keep talking about is if you get into a scenario where you're not normally a person who is short of breath, but lately you find you are having some issues with shortness of breath, by all means, give your doctor a heads up because you might want to go and get tested. And so when you say you're not going to pull a muscle going for a walk, if you are in a situation where even light exercise is leaving you occasionally winded, that might be a sign that something else is up. And even though that might be your only symptom, it's time to go and talk to your doctor, I'm assuming. Yes? Yes, I would definitely recommend. Um, I mean, if you haven't been exercising and you feel out of breath while you're exercising, that's completely normal. Um, but if you finish the exercise and you still feel like you're a little out of breath or, you know, and we're talking like something really um, low intensity like walking, 
um, if you're if you're done walking and you're still feeling like you can't catch your breath, then definitely give your doctor a call because you don't want to take any chances right now. Is that the thing? The, the thing I've always heard about um, the the sign that you're overdoing it when you're exercising is that you should be able to carry on a conversation. Is that actually true? Um, well, overdo it, I guess, when you're exercising is kind of a vague um, phrase. Uh, you know, for my triathletes, um, they have they do high intensity workouts, and if they're able to hold a conversation, then they're not going hard enough when they should be doing high intensity. But for the average person. You know, if you're, yeah, if you're just trying to get out there and get a little bit of exercise and you're not doing, you're not looking for a high intensity interval exercise or uh, workout, you're just trying to get some exercise in, then maintaining a conversation um, would be a good, a good starting point for sure that you can walk and talk at the same time, basically. No. Yeah. Walking and talking is fine. Walking and chewing gum for me is a different adventure. <laughs> um, now. Okay, so I'm going to pick your trainer brain for a second on some other things, and and let's let's go a step above uh, the people who are just you know for whom walking is you know what that's good if you're walking around good for you. Let's talk about the people who are actually because they have the time at home and maybe they have the gear at home that will uh, enable them to you know maybe get into an actual workout routine. Like I'm I'm kind of looking at this time that I've got because I'm working from home, um, and I'm thinking okay I got an extra couple of hours a day that I'm not in the car, maybe some fitness should start to creep its way back into my life. So for people who are in that boat, let's knock some of the basic stuff out of the way. Like the old question that keeps coming up over and over and over again, what's the best time of day to work out? Um, well, that's a good question. And that's a very individual question. Um, everyone's different. So some people are morning people and they're better doing a workout in the morning. Some people, you know, it takes them an hour to really wake up and get their body and their mind going. And those people are better at night. So an evening workout may be better for them. Uh, I think it's, it's really up to you. What, what works best for you in terms of the timing that you have available. And again, I know everyone's schedules are different right now, or potentially different. Um, but it's when you, when you have the time and when you're the most awake, I think is the best time for you to, for you to do it. So that's very individualized. But when you said earlier, because you made a reference earlier to if you're exercising, then, yeah, you, you might be tiring yourself out. And so sleep might come a little easier. Is there a window where, you know, let's say bedtime is at, I don't know, pick a number. Let's say bedtime's at nine o'clock. Is, is there a time after which I probably shouldn't exercise because it's then going to mess with my sleep and my body needs time to wind down? Like, should I, if I'm going to bed at nine o'clock, am I okay to exercise at eight o'clock or should I be looking at something earlier than that? Something earlier than that would be better. Um, the general recommendation is you try to exercise a minimum of two hours before bed. Um, and if you could do it more like three or four, that'd be better. Um, if you're doing, if you need to do or want to do something in the evening that's closer to bedtime, I'd recommend doing something that's low intensity, like yoga or stretching. Um, those are good things that you can do that'll help start, actually start the, the process of kind of letting your body relax and push you into sleep mode. But if you're out trying to, you know, do a, a five mile run an hour before bed, then your body's going to be like, um, very alert, a uh, lots of adrenaline pumping. And it's going to take a while for it to calm down. So you're not going to be able to go to sleep right, right after that, most likely. While we've come to the agreement, I think you and I, that a handful of raisins to induce sleep is a terrible idea. <laughs> yes. um, 
Are there things that you can point to just right out of the gate, super basic, easy things that if I'm going to introduce exercise to my routine as a, as a tool to help me get better sleep and build my immunity, is there, or, or perhaps this is outside of your area of expertise, but I don't think it is, uh, not that I stalked you a great deal before we sat down and had this conversation, but holy smokes, like if you're in, if, if you're anywhere within, I would say a hundred mile radius of Jenny, you should really give her a call. Um, uh, but that, that having been said, is there stuff nutritionally? Is there stuff I should be eating? Is there stuff I should be adding to my diet that might not be there already that will both support my workout and maybe support my sleep too? Um, I think the it's a, that's an interesting question. So I don't know that there's necessarily any food um, that's going to help you sleep better. Um, you know, it's not like oh, you go eat a handful of blueberries and you're going to be able to fall asleep in thirty minutes. Um, I mean, there's no like magic formula for uh, your diet to help you sleep. Um, I think we were joking about the sugar crash. Um, or, you know, eating some sugar before bed and then you have a sugar crash and you fall asleep. Um, that's a horrible idea because while yes, you may sort of have that sugar crash, it's not going to help you fall asleep and get good quality sleep. Um, I will say just another, you know, thing that's not ideal is a lot of people have a drink saying that, oh, it'll sort of relax me for bedtime. Um, and while it does help you relax and unwind and, help, and maybe help you fall asleep, it doesn't help you stay asleep. It actually interferes with your, um, with your sleep later, your deeper sleep later in the night. So it may help you fall asleep, but it's not going to help you get a good quality sleep overnight. Um, so those are things I would say to avoid or minimize um, before bedtime, especially, um, and not, not have those as part of your daily routine. Um, and in general, the more you eat healthy, um, non-processed foods, you know, eating fresh fruits and vegetables, especially, um, you're going to have better sleep because you're going to have better vitamins and minerals in your body and your body's going to have fewer toxins. And, you know, I mean, everything is, everything is connected. So if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out essentially, um, which means your sleep and your workouts and your energy level and your mental clarity, all of that is affected, um, to some extent by what you put in your body and how you fuel your body. So eating healthy in general, you know, eating at least trying to get fruits and vegetables in your diet is going to help you get good vitamins and minerals. That's going to help your body function optimally. And that includes getting better sleep. Are we still in a place with exercise nutrition where uh, people still talk about things like, you know, you should be eating low glycemic carbs instead of high glycemic and all those sorts of things? Is that still in play or have we moved beyond those things now um it's still talked about a little bit but it's not really focused on as much um i think it especially if you're talking about um sports nutrition or fitness nutrition um there's different types of workouts and different intensities and you know what you're training for um like if you're an endurance athlete like a triathlete or a marathon runner you actually need different you need a, a mix um, or more of a mix of high and low glycemic um, index carbs, you know, are different types of sugar essentially because you need things for short term and you need things for long term for fueling for like, you know, a race or a long workout. Um, but for the average person, you know, um, you know, it's, I think it's more just trying to find a mix of um, healthy fruits and vegetables and um, carbs that are from whole grains, not from, you know, or not as much from like white rice and stuff like that. Um, you know, again, 
everyone's different and there's different cultures out there. So it's not like you can only eat this or shouldn't eat this. Um, it's just kind of finding a mix of, of healthy things that works for you and your family. Lots of good information. And it's at a time too, where everybody is trying to figure out what's the best thing they can do. I mean, we all know about the washing the hands and the, I'm so grateful now that they've started calling it physical distancing instead of social distancing. (laughs) Social distancing was just not working. You know, I mean, I think, I think if anything, we all need to up our social game a little bit and just find different ways to do it other than being in large crowds of people. But I think the social element of all of this is so super critical right now. So I'm glad that even the WHO has started calling it physical distancing instead. Um, and, and so as we all try and figure out what is the edge that will help us strengthen our immune systems and and keep ourselves and our loved ones safe from all of this, it's always great to get more perspective. So Jenny, I'm super grateful that you had some time to talk about this and uh and hopefully this sparked some some relief for some people who were thinking, okay, what's another thing I can do? So thanks for making time. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. And um, I just want to add um, one thing to that also, um, not just the, not the physical distancing part so much, but just the, this, this time in general um, is very different than what we're used to. And um, you mentioned earlier, you know, you're not driving around everywhere. Um, something I've been preaching to my clients is that, Yes, your routine is different right now. You're not driving, you're not driving your kids to school. You're not driving to work. You're not driving, you know, anywhere or minimally. Um, And your routine is shifting. And so now is a good time to start trying those new things, you know, try changing your diet, try exercising, you know, period or exercising differently or more, um, you know, and set, set a new routine and set new habits and you know we don't know how long this is going to happen um that we have to work from home and practice physical distancing so start um working on the things that you've you know had in the back of your mind or things that have been goals you haven't really put effort and energy into and you know right now is the time to start creating these new habits and new routines and then when we go back to you know normal world whatever that means um you'll have these things already implemented in your routine and you'll want to keep them going so whether that's exercise or improved diet or um, all of it, you know, or changing your sleep hygiene. Um, This is a great time to start working on those things and really try to get them dialed in so that when we go back to our our old routine, um, if that actually happens to be the case, um, I say old as in previous before COVID-19, you've got these great new habits built into your lifestyle that you're going to be able to maintain. Is that going to be one of the trickiest things you think for people is, is when things do get back to, um, our, our old routine, our old as in like three weeks ago routines. <laughs> um, is that, do you think that's going to be tough for people to do is to, is to, if they like, like for me, for example, so I'm one of the things I'm thinking about this coming week is, yeah, I want to start incorporating a, a sort of a daily fitness thing, but then I wonder, okay, I don't want to set the bar to a point where when I do get back to my normal schedule that I have to just abandon it and walk away from it altogether. Do you think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people? I think for some, yes. Um, and that's kind of why it's important to figure out what you need, what routine you need to have right now in general. And, you know, try to keep your routine similar to your normal day in, in terms of setting your work hours, setting your kids' school hours. Um, so, you know, if you normally work from, you know, eight to four and, 
and you're starting to try to like, oh, I'm going to do my workout now at 8 a.m. and I'm not going to start working until 9.30. You know, when you switch back to your previous routine, working out at 8 o'clock is not going to be an option. So maybe you need to get up, you know, a half an hour earlier, an hour earlier, whatever, get your workout started and get it done before your normal work hours so that the routine that you're maintaining now will actually slide back into place a little more easily when we go back to working at our physical locations for our jobs and everything. That's Dr. Jenny Pottebaum. You can find the links to all her info, including her new Facebook Live workouts that coincidentally she started doing long before statewide shutdowns and social distancing became the new normal. All the info is in the show notes and on our website at thesnoozebutton.com. You will also find the details there on the different ways that you can get your question in front of our panel of sleep experts, which brings us to this week's call. It sounds something like this. No, wait, it sounds exactly like this. Oh, hi, Neil. My name is Heidi, and I'm calling from Toronto. I love your podcast. There's so much important information each week. They're fantastic. Um, I have a request. Can you address the topic of menopause and the major sleep disruptions that come with it? Personally, uh, as a woman going through this, I've tried everything, but I'm always hungry for more information. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Heidi. I will actually field this one myself because it dovetails nicely into something else I was going to mention. If you were here for episode 24, Boring Books for Bedtime, which is three or four weeks ago now, you know that our guest on that show, Sharon Handy, kind of called me out as well for not having addressed menopause and sleep as a topic on the show. So now we have this message from Heidi that came in a few days ago, and I'm excited to tell you about next week's show that will feature what I'm told is the country's leading expert on that topic. I started poking around in the sleep community and asking who's the smartest person around on that subject, and overwhelmingly the answer came back, you have to talk to Dr. Sarah Nowakowski. So she's going to be here on the show next week. One more quick note. Thank you to whoever the user Brontosaurus Finger is who left us these kind words as part of a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. They said, and I'm quoting, I love this podcast. As a sleep expert myself, I can honestly say that I think this podcast is consistently exceptional. Neil Headley is a great host who makes me, I'm sorry, it's just funny to hear those words. Neil Headley is a great host who makes me think, creates an accessible conversation that's easy to listen to, and always leaves me looking forward to the next show. Uh, Whoever you are, Brontosaurus Finger, thank you. It's, uh, that's much appreciated. I can't tell you uh, enough about the gratitude that I have for the way the sleep science community has embraced this show and offered their expertise for a ton of episodes to come. So thank you. Uh, Finally, one last thing, and then I'll get out of your way. When we very first started the snooze button, the idea was to release it as a nine-minute weekly show, and full-length episodes were available to subscribers who paid a buck a month to get to all the extra content. Well, What happened very quickly is that the editing and the extra work that went into creating a nine-minute show got kind of overwhelming, and production on it fell way behind. So we scrapped the whole subscription model altogether. We made everything available for free. It didn't make the production any easier. Um, I just felt better about it. So I'm happy to tell you that an audio producer in the U.K., by the name of Ruben Andrews, has stepped forward. He offered to become the editor for that show, The Snooze Button Express. And in no time at all, Ruben took care of editing the backlog of about 15 episodes, and we've been quietly adding them, uploading them, and starting this week, 
we're going to release new episodes of the Snooze Button Express at a rate of about one episode per day until we're all caught up. Now, it's the same show. It's just that the interviews are cut way down. It's highlights only. You know, it's like when you tune into ESPN and they show you the the 40 seconds out of that entire hour and a half baseball game that mattered. Uh, And you get far less babbling from me as well. You still get a ton of great information and it's only nine minutes per episode. So we're going to make sure that starting now, there's also a link to that show on our website at thesnoozebutton.com. All right. uh, Where you'll find a ton of other links and great information. But enough for this week. We will be back next week with more. Until then, wash your hands, stop touching people, stop going to bars, and stop going on spring break. Take good care of yourselves and each other. And one of the best things you can do in terms of taking care of yourself, and I mean this in a way that I've never meant it before, but I say it at the end of every episode, get some sleep, would you?